Hey everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Roped In. I'm your host, John Roper. Uh, I don't really have a special edition going on today like I had last week. Uh, I don't have any special shout-outs to do like I had in some of the first episodes. Still having fun, still loving it, but yeah, nothing really special, just another episode of uh, Roped In here. Um, thank you very much for coming out. Uh, it's not going to be like last week where it was one sport centered. Uh, I am going to be switching it up again today. Got three different topics, three different sports. First one's going to be in baseball. I'm going to be talking about Shohei Otani. Uh, for those of you that are avid baseball fans, please remember I am not a diehard baseball fan. I don't have great baseball history fandom knowledge, um, but it's one that I really enjoy watching and Shohei Otani has been so fun to watch this year. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about him and his greatness and his dominance in the league. Then I'm going to be switching it up to basketball, but this time on the women's side. Their playoff push is happening right now. Their playoffs are coming up. So I'm going to be talking about that playoff push, uh, who I think are going to win some of the big awards in the end, at the end of the year, and who I think is going to win the whole thing. And then finally, going back to a sport I've already talked about as well, Formula One. We're in the middle of the summer break right now, so I'm just going to be talking about the past races, what's happened so far, not necessarily breaking down the races, but kind of recap on the first half of the season and explaining the two or three things that I'm looking forward to for next season. Um, so yeah, without further ado, let's uh, let's get right into it. We've got some baseball, got some basketball, and got some Formula One. Uh, here we go. So here we are, diving into a bit of baseball, and as I said, I'm not the most avid baseball fan, I don't know the biggest baseball history. One thing I do know for myself, Shohei Otani is the greatest baseball player I've ever seen. Um, there's there's not much debate in there, I don't think, um, to that, uh, and I'm going to kind of get into why I think that. So one of the things that a lot of people like to do is compare great athletes now to great athletes in the past and even just talk about who the greatest of all time is. So with baseball, one of the people that a lot of people argue, one of the people that a lot of people, that sounded weird. Um, one of the athletes that a lot of fans uh, thought is the goat of baseball, greatest of all time, Babe Ruth and Shohei Otani, who I'm talking about now, his comparison is Babe Ruth. So that in itself kind of already explains a little bit of, of why I think he's so great and what his dominance is really meaning this year. Uh, Babe Ruth also played in 1914 and 1935. So it's been 100 years since we've seen a player do what Shohei Otani is doing. And I think Shohei Otani is doing it better. Um, but I'm going to quickly explain a little bit about Babe Ruth because I have mentioned him a whole bunch. So... Babe Ruth, again, is who a lot of people think is the GOAT of basketball. Um, he's a New York Yankees legend to me, but he did start on Boston Red Sox, so I'm sure those baseball fans know him for both. But to me, he's a, a Yankees legend who, before I did a little bit of my research, I thought he was like Shohei and, and really did hitting and, and pitching at the same time to a great level and was dominant. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to take anything away. He was great at both, but... He wasn't as great at both at the same time as I thought. So he mainly was a pitcher in Boston in Beantown. And then was mainly a hitter in the pinstripes for the Yankees. 
So, again, he started in 1914, was a great pitcher for the Red Sox, and it really wasn't until 1918 that he really started to become a hitter in their lineup. Um, Once he started to become a hitter, his pitching did drop a little bit. So, he had 24 wins the year before he started becoming a hitter. Then when he started becoming a hitter, it dropped down to 13. He had 108 Ks when he was pitching, which dropped down to 49 Ks when he was hitting as well. So his pitching dropped down. Then he did both again the next year. And again, both stats dropped as well. And then he really stopped pitching and primarily became a hitter in 1919 and from that point on. And again, I don't want to take anything away. He was a great pitcher when he was a pitcher. And he was then arguably the greatest hitter, potentially of all time, but definitely in the league from that point on while he was continuing to play. Um, He led the league millions of times. I think he has like 700 career home runs, 700 plus career home runs. Um, So he really is an amazing hitter. Was a really, really good fielder. I also don't think he's as fast as Shohei. So again, he was great at both, but not necessarily dominant at the same time, which is going to make sense when I'm explaining why I think Shohei is as dominant. And again, in my what I would say uneducated baseball eyes is the greatest player I've ever seen. And I think the greatest player of all time in major leagues. So yeah, let's go to Shohei Otani now, the guy that started this segment. He's been in MLB for about six years now. He came over from, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but the Hokkaido Nippenham fighters who were in the Japanese baseball league, who's I think the best baseball league outside of the major leagues. They might even potentially be a tear up from the triple a, um, I don't want to dive too much into it. AAA is a minor league level of baseball, and I think the Japanese league is, again, one of the better leagues out there. And that's where Shohei Otani started playing his professional career. And then he switched over again six years ago to play with the Los Angeles Angels um, in baseball. I wouldn't say rumored, but I know a lot of people were talking about when he switched over that he wasn't going to be able to do good in both because the major leagues was a good I'm sorry, was a better league than Japan, and he wasn't going to be able to keep up in both. So he was going to have to pick, is he going to be a fielder and a hitter or a designated hitter, or is he going to be a pitcher? Um, I think Shohei Otani kind of fluffed that off and said, why, why can't I be both? Um, and, and really just started to kind of do both. He's been both a hitter and a pitcher for as long as I could remember in his major leagues. It's not his entire time. Been doing really, really good at both. Um... But it wasn't until recently where he really threw himself into that constant MVP race. Uh, he, I think, I'm going to be a little bit biased when I say this, and I don't mean to take anything away from Aaron Judge. He had that historic record last year uh, with the amount of home runs that he hit. I think it was like 63 or however many it was, but he hit 60-plus home runs and broke the record for the most home runs and was MVP. To me, it should have been Shohei. Uh, I know it's one of the arguments of... Uh, because sorry, my argument to it was he's one of the best hitters, one of the best pitchers. He's, in my eyes, the most valuable player you can have on your team. So for that reason, I thought he should have won. I had a couple of friends that said if that's the logic, he's just going to win it every year because nobody else can pitch and hit like he can. My answer to that, tough shit um, to the rest of the players in the league. It's it's not a competition in my eyes of of who's breaking records, I think it's who is the best player in the league that year. 
This all being said, I don't want to take anything away from Aaron Judge. I wasn't mad that Aaron Judge won. I was actually happy that Aaron Judge won. He deserved to win it just as well because, again, he broke the record. It's just, to me, I would have leaned towards Shohei just because, again, nobody out there can do what he does. So to explain to some of those people that aren't avid baseball watchers or people maybe like me that don't really know all the stats, like they know he's really good, but they don't know all the stats, I'll explain. He's actually in the top 10 in the league in seven out of the 10 ESPN like top categories when you go on their sites for Major League Baseball stats. He's in the top 10 of the league in seven out of those 10. That's including hitting and pitching. So let's break it down a little bit. So for batting average, this year he's hitting 305, which is seventh in the league. For those that really don't know baseball, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think I could be, but hitting above 300 is kind of that benchmark for really separating yourself as one of the better hitters in the league. And he's hitting 305, which is seventh in the entire league this year. He has 131 hits, which is sixth in the entire league this year. He has 40 home runs, which is first in the majors. I think I was doing the math. He's on pace for 55, but that's taken the entire season. I can't say that I've really fallen a lot lately, but I've seen a couple of things that he's potentially on pace to actually break Aaron Judge's record last year. Either way, 50-plus home runs, potentially 60-plus home runs is insane for anybody, let alone somebody else that pitches. Uh, back to hitting, he has 83 RBIs this year, which is fifth in the league. Again, those baseball fans correct me, but on RBIs, I believe it's 100. So that's that 100 RBIs is that benchmark to okay, this guy's really a producer for your team and can really be that offensive factor. And again, he's at 83, which is fifth in the league. So hitting, he's got four major categories that he's top 10 in, which already puts him on the hitting stats as near MVP level. Now on to the pitching side, he's got 10 wins, which is 13th in the league, and I know I said top 10, but the reason I kind of consider this one is the person who's leading the league only has 13. So there's only three wins separating him and the person that's leading the league in wins. There's just a lot of people out there that have them, which is why he's kind of rec recorded where he is. Um, again, I'll give it to you, he is technically 13th, but... Being only three wins away from the league lead, I'm considering that a top 10 pitcher. Uh, ERA, he's got 3.17. ERA is earned run average. So what that means is that if he was to pitch a full nine innings every game, he'd give up 3.17 runs per game. For those that don't fully know baseball. Which again, puts him at eighth in the league. For strikeouts, he has 165 strikeouts this year, which is sixth in the league. So as a pitcher... He's got good wins, good ERA, and good strikeouts. Some of the major categories you're looking for in a pitcher. So, you look at just the pitching side alone, I think he could consider himself a case for that Cy Young, that MVP best pitcher of the, of the league. So, if you can consider him the best hitter in the league and the best pitcher in the league, he is absolutely tearing it up at the same time and getting better. There is no signs of him slowing down. He's better than he was last year. I think he's going to run away with the MVP race. Um, it's it's crazy to see. So again, why I think it's better than Babe Ruth, I never, not to say I never saw, I can't say I followed baseball a crazy amount, but in the research that I did, I've never seen Babe Ruth be as good at both or really anybody be as good at both as Shohei Otani is and can potentially be for the next few years. It's scary to think about. 
One one day that really summed up his dominance in baseball, July 27th, they had a doubleheader with the Detroit Tigers. For those that don't know what a doubleheader is, it just means you play a game in the morning and you play a game in the afternoon. Because earlier in the season, there was a game that had to get canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. So they played two games in one day. Shohei Otani was the pitcher in the first game, and he pitched his first complete shutout in MLB. In his MLB career. Sorry, not in MLB. In his MLB career. What a complete game shutout means is he pitched all nine innings and gave up no runs. To put that into perspective, that's only happened 15 times this year. To put that into perspective, I, my math could be wrong, so again, correct me, but there's 30 teams in the major leagues, and 100 games have been played by each team so far. So you put that into perspective, that's what? 1,500 games? No. Yes, 1,500 games, because the teams play each other, so they can't be uh, 3,000. It's 1,500 games. Um, however, there's been 3,000-plus different starters, and only 15 times have there been a complete game shutout. So again, he did that in the morning, pitched all nine innings, which is two and a half, three hours worth, really throws the arm count up. I mean, it gets you a little bit tired because you're, you're pitching a lot. Then he comes in in the afternoon as a designated hitter, which that in itself is amazing to see that he still has enough energy after pitching the complete game shutout. And he hits two home runs in that afternoon game. Granted, he didn't finish it. He got pulled after the two home runs, but he hit two home runs. So in the beginning of this game, in the beginning of the day, he's the best pitcher in the league. At the end of the day, he proves why he's the best hitter in the league. That right there really sums it up. Shohei Otani is so fun to watch. Um, what Whether the Angels made the right decision in not trading him or not, that's foreseen. But um, again, I think he's the GOAT. I think he will be the GOAT at the end of his career. He's, he's paving a path for it. Uh, I believe this year in the draft, there was around eight players that were deemed two-way players like him, which is a record for the major leagues. Never has there been that many two-way players in one draft. So he's he's really showing that it can be done and I think opening the eyes. I don't want to take it away. Not to say athletes couldn't have done it in the past. One of the things that I like is the fact that he is doing this will let coaches open up a little bit and, and let their players do two-way things like what Shohei has done. Um, so it's really exciting to watch. But again, um, I've said it five or six times already, and I'll say it again. Shohei Otani is the GOAT. So I know most of you are just dying to know, what is this week's drink break brought to you by? This week's drink break is the Food of Champions. For those that don't know what that is, that is Milo. Also pronounces Milo. If you don't know what that is, you have been living your life wrong. It's a, uh, most North Americans might know it as Nesquik, the chocolate powder, but Milo's uh, a lot better. It, it makes Nesquik look like poo-poo. Um, so yes, this week is brought to you by Milo, the food drink of champions, and a tall glass of cold water. Um, in case you guys are curious how to make Milo, uh, you don't have to follow my recipe, but my recipe is the best. It is, no matter what size cup it is, Unless you have like a super size cup. But yes, no matter what the size cup is, you have three generous scoops into the cup, followed by your milk. And if you have condensed milk, do that and mix it up. You want to spend enough time mixing it that the water does turn chocolatey and milky, but you have the leftover Milo on top. That way when you drink it down, 
you can eat that Milo that's on top, and that's one of the best parts. Um, I could spend an entire to- podcast talking about Milo. I'm not going to. Now I'm getting into women's basketball and the WNBA. Its playoffs are starting on September 13th and can go all the way up until October 10th, depending on how the series is go. Um, so yeah, we're coming up. It's about a month away. Uh, but when I was doing a little bit of research, one of the things I didn't know that the WNBA had, uh, that some of you might have, is what's called the WNBA Commissioner's Cup. It's similar to what the NBA is trying to implement, and uh, I actually kind of like it now that I see how it's worked out in the WNBA. Um, but yes, that one is on August 15th, so two days as of the day I'm recording this. Um, so yeah, the Commissioner's Cup, what it is, is it's a mid-season tournament, um... Kind of like what soccer has with the FA Cup in the uh, Premier League is there's tens game, 10 games within the regular season matches that count towards this Commissioner's Cup. It's still divided up in the East and the West, and the top team from the East goes against the top team from the West using those 10 games as a record. If there's a tie like there is this year, then it goes to the head-to-head record of those two teams that are tied. So within that WA Commissioner's Cup, there's a kind of total pot of 500k. The winning team gets $30,000 per player. As in, each player gets $30,000, sorry. Uh, on the losing team, each player gets $10,000. And the MVP of this game gets an additional $5,000 bonus. One of the other cool things about this is that each team kind of picks their, their charity for the year. And when you win one of these 10 games during the regular season... The WNBA donates $2,000 to your charity, and if you lose, it donates $500 to the charity. If you're a champion, a WNBA, WNBA donates $10,000 to your charity, and if you're that second place runner-up team, $5,000 to the charity. I know this doesn't seem like crazy money where we're talking about professional sports, and I don't mean this in any dig, I actually mean this as a compliment. We need to remember that the WNBA is actually losing money. So for them to be able to donate like this is actually a big thing. And again, for those of you that are kind of putting your nose up, but that's not a lot of money. Some of my listeners have, and I love you for it. But how much have you donated recently? So before shooting on someone saying, oh, that's really not much that, that much money compared to other sports. Money is money in donation worlds in my eyes. Any amount you can do is good. And the WNBA is doing their part in giving back during this midseason tournament. Um, so yeah, that one's coming up and it's going to see a matchup between the New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces. But again, we're getting on to what this is, is the playoff push. So there are 12 teams in the WNBA and eight of them will make the playoffs. Two teams have already clinched their spot. The Las Vegas Aces, who were last year's runners up and the New York Liberty. So the Aces right now have a record of 26 and three. And I'm going to quickly explain a little bit about them because they're on pace for a record year this year. So this is going to be their second year in a row with the number one seed, and they're going for the highest win percentage ever in a WNBA season and the most wins ever. I know it sounds like the two and two should go hand in hand, but remember that as the leagues, all leagues in all sports and all history in all countries, as they've changed and more teams have been adding, the length of the schedule changes. So that's where I say that the winning percentage is different than the amount of wins, because back in the day, they didn't play as many games, but it's still impressive to have that winning percentage. So what it is, is it's a 90% win percentage that the Las Vegas Aces are going to break. 
They're the second team ever to start their season 24-2, and and they're 26-3 and right now. Um, and again, they're on pace to breed that record of 29 wins. On their team, they've got Asia Wilson, who's the reigning MVP and in the MVP race this year. She's the reigning defensive player of the year last year. Uh, they've got a star-studded team, so I'm going to go through. Candace Parker, Chelsea Gray, Jackie Young, uh, Kelsey Plum. So they, they've got they've got a lot of big names, and I know not a lot of people follow the WNBA, so some of these names are going to basically be made up to you. But these are some really, really good girls, women, that are playing basketball, and they're all on the same team. This Vegas Aces team is like a star-studded all-star squad, but they're a regular season team. The other team that has it clinched is the New York Liberty. They're 23-6, and six, and they're going on the eastern side. These are the two teams that I think are going to be in the WNBA Finals. Again, they're the two teams that I mentioned are in the Commissioner's Cup. But the New York Liberty are the team that also, in a way, has that star-studded all-star lineup. Um, not as much history going on this year as the Aces, so I'll just kind of go straight into their roster. Which has Brianna Stewart, who is always in the conversation for MVP. And she's in it again this year with Asia Wilson, like I mentioned earlier. Um, other people on this team, Jonquil Jones, Courtney Vandersloot, uh, Sabrina Ionescu, who's my favorite player to watch. She's the three-point champion this year. Um, again, not a lot of people would have seen it, but I know some of my friends and some people that are just sports fans would have seen it. She had in a very impressive three-point contest, she being Sabrina Ionescu. Very impressive three-point contest during the All-Star break where she actually broke the record. It was amazing to watch um, how many shots she was making. And she's a triple-double machine. I think she's the future of the league. Um, was, in a way, mentored by Kobe, RIP. Uh, but I love watching Sabrina Ionescu. because she's my favorite player to watch. Um, and again, she's on the New York Liberty, who have that second spot in the league um, and the top spot in the East. Other teams that I think are going to make it, the Connecticut Sun, they're really close to that kind of fighting for the top three. They're third right now, and they have a 21-9 record. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I can't say I know a crazy amount about WNBA, so I'm not going to dive into all the rosters. Aces and Liberty have a lot of the players that I do know on those two teams combined. Um, but players that I do know are on the Connecticut Sun, they've got two really, really good, um, I don't want to say big men, but they've got two really good bigs in Brianna Stewart and, sorry, yeah, Brianna Jones and Alyssa Thomas. Uh, and also on that team, I'm just going to shout out Rebecca Allen. Uh, she's a sharpshooting defensive player out of Australia. And um, I'm going to make her my future wife one day, I'm pretty sure. She is absolutely gorgeous. So if she's ever going to listen to this one day, um, yeah, I'll fly anywhere um, once I start making money. Rebecca Allen, love my life. But again, she's on Connecticut Sun. Um, who are that third seed right now. Other teams that I think are locked into that playoffs are Dallas, the Dallas Wings. Uh, their star player is Arike Ogunbowale. Again, not a lot of you might know that name, but those of you that like basketball will know that name. Um, she was a star in Notre Dame um, and now is on Dallas Wings, and I think they're a lock for the playoffs. The other team that I think are a lock are the Atlanta Dream who are led by another really, really good person who, I'll be honest, I can't remember her name, but I know when I'm watching, she does very, really good. And they actually have somebody who I think could be a rookie of the year in Ryan Howard. So again, they're going to take the fourth and fifth spots. Um, sixth and seventh spots, I want to say, are in a way a bit of a lock. 
Um, I don't know which order they'll come in, but I do think Washington with Elena Della Don are going to come up in the playoffs. And I also think that the Minnesota Lynx with the Canadian Natalia Chanwa and another person who's in that rookie of the year race, Diamond Miller, um, are leading the Minnesota Lynx. And that's why I think both of those two teams, the Washington Mystics and the Minnesota Lynx, are going to finish 6th and 7th. And then finally, battling for that eighth playoff spot is a three-team race. Two teams are kind of currently having the same record and tied for it. With that third team, I think, is actually going to leapfrog them. But it's the Chicago Sky and the LA Sparks, who are the teams that are kindly with that tied record at that eighth spot right now. And I think it's the Phoenix Suns that are going to leap squad. Leap squad. Leapfrog into that eighth spot and take that last final playoff position. Some of it is just because they also have the names that I know. They have Brittany Griner, um, Deanna Tarasi, some of those names that I know and that are still good players, which is why I actually think they're the ones that are going to take that eighth and final playoff spot. With, again, it being a finals between the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty, those two teams are just too good. And in the end of it all, it's the Las Vegas Aces that I think are going to walk away with the WNBA championship this year. Getting into a bit of the individual performance awards, uh, I've touched on a little bit of the MVP race. I think it's a two-way battle between Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson from the New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces, respectfully. Um, yeah, the two of them are having amazing years, and they're the two that are really battling for it. Uh, Jackie Young, who's also on the Aces, is another player who's kind of putting her name in there, but it, it really is a two-way battle. Um, and then it's Alyssa Thomas, uh, Sabrina Ionescu are some of those people who I think are long shots that need some kind of a miracle and for them to be amazing and both Stewart and Asia Wilson to not be amazing. Um, but again, it's going to be Stewie and Asia at the end of it. I think it's going to be Asia Wilson that walks away with her back-to-back -back MVPs. And the other big one is Rookie of the Year. It's... In a way, a two-way race between Aaliyah Boston and Ryan Howard out of Atlanta. I haven't mentioned her yet. Aaliyah Boston is a rookie. She plays for Indiana. Um, Aaliyah Boston, if I'm correct, she played for South Carolina. Um, she's who I think is just running away with it. She's going to win Rookie of the Year. Other people that are in contention, Seattle. Uh, Seattle Storm, they have three really good youngsters this year. Uh, two guards, um, one of them's Croatian, I believe, the other's Australian, and then they've got another girl out of Tennessee. Uh, the guard out of Croatia, I'm not even going to try and pronounce her name, she's, in my eyes, one of the better of the rookies that could get up there. But again, Aaliyah Boston is going to be the Rookie of the Year, I think, with the Las Vegas Aces having the MVP in Asia Wilson and are going to be the ones that win the entire thing this year. Uh, I can't say I'm an avid WNBA fan. I love basketball and I'm getting into it, so I'm learning more about it. So some of my opinions might be wrong, but that's my take on uh, what's happening so far in the WNBA. And here we are with the third segment. Again, going to be recapping the Formula One season. I'm feeling recharged after my chocolatey taste of milo uh, again i'll just briefly explain the really good thing to do with milo is you want to leave it so that there's some of that chocolate powder sitting on top i find the manufacturers of the milo that i can buy in the walmart here in victoria are not the same as the manufacturers of the walmart i mean the milo that i can buy in jamaica <laughs> um it's worse because 
it can't sit on top the same way. So again, uh, I have uh, some of the one from Jamaica because I smuggle that back every single time. Uh, Canadian law enforcement, I do not smuggle. I was joking. Um, friends and family, if you know, you know. Um, but again, you bring it in, you have that chocolate goodness on top. Now, you need to have some self-discipline. What a lot of people do is they use that spoon and they eat a little bit of that chocolate powder that's on top and then they drink the Milo. I'm going to let you know what you should be doing. Drink the Milo down so that your last sip of Milo gets that chocolatey goodness coming in. Ooh, it's so good. And again, let's recharge this last segment about Formula One. So we're kind of diving into it. Formula One's in their summer break. Their last race was at the end of July, and their next one's coming up on August 27th, uh, the Dutch Grand Prix. It's going to be the 13th race of the season. So again, I am going to be um, diving into a recap of the season. So the season started with three uh, rookies and newcomers to Formula One. A couple of familiar faces coming back and seat changes as well, but three new people to Formula One. First being Oscar Piastri. He replaced Danny Ricardo on McLaren. Um, McLaren kind of stole Oscar Piastri from the Alpine uh, reserve system. For those of you that watched Drive to Survive, you would have seen that go down. I'm a McLaren fan, so I'm never going to talk bad about any move that McLaren makes, especially when it gets them as good of a driver as Oscar Piastri. Um, but again, he was one of the newcomers. Nick DeVries was another newcomer who replaced Pierre Gasly on AlphaTauri. One of the interesting is he was a rookie to the Formula One, but he was still older than half the grid. I wouldn't say rookie. He did have an appearance last year, but this is his first kind of, you've got a spot in the league. Um, and again, he was older than half the grid. But again, he replaced Pierre Gasly, who went to Alpine. Um, I didn't mention when Oscar Piastri replaced Ricardo, he went to be a backup driver for Red Bull. Uh, and then Logan Sargent came into Williams and he replaced Nicholas Latifi from um, Canada. He didn't go anywhere. Nicholas Latifi, I can't say, put on impressive performances. Not a lot of teams kept him around. His racing career is continuing, but Sergeant, Sargent took his spot as the last of the newcomers to Formula One. Um, another kind of one of the bigger names. I liked Mick Schumacher. He's now a reserve driver for Mercedes. Or, sorry, yes. Um, so interesting to see him come back, but again, those were some of the newer faces on the Formula One grid to start. Starting the season, I, you know, I figured Red Bull with Max and Checo, you know, they've got the best car, the best team, best engineers, best driver. We all knew that they were going to run away with this league and they, they have been so far this, this season. Really impressive to watch. Uh, my dad's a Max Verstappen fan and it's, Annoying sometimes being a McLaren fan, just hearing him gloat all the time. Um, but give him his respect. He's following the best driver right now who's got the best car. And with that combination, he's having fun every weekend. Other people are Ferrari with Leclerc and Sainz. You know, they always have a really good car. They've got two great drivers. But for the past few years, they're... I don't want to say management team, but their directing staff, the people that make those strategic decisions, have been really dropping the ball, and it's costing. And it's, I always say, interesting to see when Leclerc is going to leave, but I think it's rumors that Leclerc is going to sign another three-year extension with Ferrari. Um, I'm sure they pay really well, but until their strategy changes, I don't know if he's going to win any world championships with Ferrari. Um, 
But going into the season, they were competing up there. Mercedes was competing up there with uh, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Again, Mercedes, they've, they've got the money behind them. They've got a good team. They've got a good engineering staff and directors. Their car has dropped down a bit um, because, or I wouldn't necessarily dropped down or as much as it has been Red Bulls gained up. But Mercedes is also that other team that's always competing for the spots and has been doing it so far this year. The one that surprised me to start the year was actually Aston Martin. Um, I expected them to get getting points, but to begin the year, they were constantly on the podium with Fernando Alonso. And they were, in my eyes, showing that they could fight maybe for that second spot. Um, again, I knew Red Bull was going to run away with it, but they could fight for that second spot of the championship. And they, they had a blistering start to the season. McLaren, who's my favorite team, had a really, really poor start to the season. Um, I was excited to see what Oscar Piastri could do, and he didn't perform greatly because the car wasn't that great. Lando Norris is my favorite driver, and he wasn't doing that great, again, because the car wasn't so hot. So it was a tough start to McLaren. Um, Alpine was another team that, you know, I always think when I say compete for points, they're, they're going to get you the points. They're going to finish in that 6-10 to 10 range constantly throughout the races. They are consistent. They've got Ocon and uh, Pierre Gasly, who are two really good racers. So, you know, they're doing their average thing, as Alpine always does. And then the four remaining teams that just kind of fight for points, Williams, Haas, Alfa Romeo, and Alfa Tauri. Um, not a crazy amount has happened. There's one big story that I'm going to get into on one of those teams, that's Alfa Tauri. But those teams are, are really just doing what a lot of people thought they were, and they're just basically fighting for points, which is ninth and 10th. For those that don't crazy follow Formula 1 or know how it really all works, 20 racers on the grid... 1 through 10 get points, 11 through 20 get nothing, and obviously you want points because that's where you finish at the end of the year. So again, those were the four teams that were just fighting for that ninth and 10th spot to just squeak some points out on the season. Um, but yeah, those are the teams and kind of the recaps. Some of the big stories that have happened, I'm not going to dive into them all because there are some future segments with some guests that I do want to dive into them and maybe do a postseason recap on them. So what I'm going to do is talk about two of my favorite things that have happened. Um, with number one being Danny Ricardo replacing Nick DeVries. So I talked about both of them earlier. I mentioned how Nick DeVries was on Alpha Tari. His teammate is Yuki Sonoda. For those that don't really know, Alpha Tari is kind of just a sister team to Red Bull. They're, they're kind of like the minor leagues to Red Bull. They're, they're where you, you get those younger racers that, that who knows, could take those seats on Red Bull. Um, but yes, either way, he took, um, Gasly spot on Alvatari next to Sonoda, but was not doing that great. Um, Ricardo had signed a reserve spot for Red Bull, which I think was a smart decision because he really wanted to get back on the grid. And again, uh, it was the Red Bull team that signed DeVries. DeVries was a former Formula 2 and Formula E champion, so he, he knows how to race. He's a really good racer, um, but just wasn't really doing it this year, which actually did surprise me. Again, his teammate Yuki Tsunoda kept outperforming him. He couldn't keep up, and Nick DeVries was given warnings to to up his performance or else. And, I mean, it is tough because I do think the Alpha Tauri is arguably the worst car on the grid this year. But still, it's where are you performing next to your teammate? You both had the same car, and DeVries never really turned it around. As we've seen in the past with Red Bull and their sister team, Alphatari, they're not afraid to cut you if it's not working out. 
They did it with Gasly. They cut Albon when it wasn't working out. They got rid of Daniel Kvyat when it wasn't working out. So they've proven that if you don't put out the performances, you will not be on this team. And it happened again with DeVries. Who slid in to replace him? It was Danny Ricardo, their reserve driver for their Red Bull, that, that number one team. Um, I think it was a good move all around. Danny Ricardo was great for marketing, if anything. Um, and he's kind of putting a bit of fire under Checo's butt. Uh, Checo is, again, for those that don't crazy follow Formula One and are somehow still listening this far into this segment. Um, Checo is the second racer for Red Bull. He's Max Verstappen's teammate. And also hasn't necessarily been performing, but again, it's tough to say you haven't been performing when your teammate's the best racer on the grid. But either way, Ricardo coming into AlphaTauri, I think was a bit of a fire under Checo's seat to be like, hey, we've got a replacement that, that if you don't do it, he will. Um, and I also think Ricardo's doing this because it's it's giving him the showcase that he needs to to get a 2024 grid spot. Um, because I don't think, I think if Danny Ricardo didn't re-sign Liam Lawson, who I believe is from New Zealand, either way, he's a young driver, I think AlphaTauri would have put him into that seat, and he would have been the one getting the the showcase and experience to potentially get that seat, so Ricardo, I think, just wants to race, and took that seat, and I think it worked out for everybody, obviously it didn't work out for degrees, but he, surprising to me, didn't really perform the way he would have. The other big story that happened that I want to recap is, with my favorite team, it's McLaren. So, as I mentioned, McLaren did not have a good start to the year. However, they did some major upgrades coming into both Austria and Silverstone and are finally now competing. Um, I can't say I, I know enough of the technical terms to really know what it was that they changed. Um, but it's awesome to see Lando finally putting a skill um, past couple of races, he's been in that podium position. He's he's competing. He's putting his car up there. Um, he's now got a competitive car, so it's exciting to see what he can do with the speed. Um, I think there was a quote the other day that I saw with Mac Verstappen that he's a little surprised to see how much Lando's actually done with that McLaren car because, again, they did not start good to start the year. Um, and, again, it's fun to see Piastri in that fancy car because he was one of the more touted rookies coming into Formula One. And um, again, he's, I mentioned him in previous podcasts, he competes up there for top five positions. I think he's going to get a podium sooner than later. Um, so McLaren, having turned it around and now competing for points, is the other of the major things that I was excited to watch in the first half of the season. And my final recap for it all is just going to be the standings. So I'm not going to go through them all. I'll kind of really talk about the top ten. As I've mentioned, Max Verstappen, no surprise, he's leading with 314. Then you've got Checo, his teammate, also one of the best cars, and he's a really good racer. He's got 189 points. Then you've got Fernando Alonso. He's with Aston Martin at 149 points. But Aston Martin, kind of opposite to McLaren turning it around, Aston Martin have turned it around but in the wrong direction. So he's third right now with 149, and Lewis Hamilton is fourth with 148. But because of what I said just a while ago, I think Lewis Hamilton is going to take Fernando Alonso in the next one, and he's going to stay in that third, potentially fight for second. Then you've got Charles Leclerc and George Russell tied for fifth with 99 points. And Carlos signs the other Red Bull, sorry, other Ferrari driver with 92 points. I don't know if you guys can hear this, I'm sorry. My dog is somehow... Napping through my talking. 
and he's doing one of those because he's dreaming. Oh, shit. Yeah, that was my fault. I shouldn't have barked. Um, we're going to try and get through the segment without them barking because I just woke them up. But he was doing the uh, the dreaming noises in his nap. But either way, we're getting back. Um, so again, signs, he has 92 points. Lando Norris, he's starting to get up there in the points category. He's going to continue going up. He's got 69 points tied for 8th. Or not tied for 8th. He's just 8th. Um, Lance Stroll with that Aston Martin is sitting at ninth, but I think he's going to get jumped by potentially Ocon and Piastri because again, that Aston Martin's falling down, but Lance Stroll is ninth with 47 points. Esteban Ocon is 10th with 35 points. And the only other person I'm going to mention again, because I think their team have turned it around and he is going to take a spot in the top 10 is Oscar Piastri. He's only a point away with 34 um, so again, those are the top 10, well, technically top 11 drivers this year. And the team standings have Red Bull at 503 points in first. Mercedes in second with 247. I think they're going to stay in second. Aston Martin with 196 points in third. Ferrari with 191 points in third. And again, Aston Martin is on the decline. And McLaren, the other team in 100 points, they have 103 and are fifth. I am um, excited to see where McLaren goes as a big McLaren fan. But either way, back to the standings. Alpine is 6th with 57 points. Williams and Haas are tied for 7th with 11 points. Alfa Romeo is 9th with 9 points. And Alfa Tauri is 10th with 3 points. So it is similar to kind of where I thought it would be, judging by, again, what I've mentioned in the recap. The surprises were Aston Martin being in 3rd. And... Uh, the other surprise is not necessarily seeing McLaren that high, but I think they will jump up there and, and and compete for the third spot. So things I'm looking forward to coming up for the rest of the season, uh, simple one, but I'm really excited to watch the Vegas race. Um, it's the, the track on the strip, bright lights of Vegas. It's going to be really cool and, and see the show that they can put on. Other thing is McLaren's continuing to rise. I think they're going to potentially fight for a third place battle. I know it's optimistic. I know I'm biased in saying that. But if they can keep putting up the performances that they are, who knows, by the end of the season, they could be going for that third place. Again, I do think Red Bull and Mercedes are going to be one and two. Aston Martin, I think, is going to drop out and finish fifth with Ferrari and McLaren fighting for third. Um, but again, that's because I don't have faith in Ferrari's strategy and I'm a McLaren fan. And finally... I'm excited to watch Daniel Ricciardo. He was one of my favorite racers for the longest time. Still kind of is, but Norris is taking that spot as a younger driver. Uh, but yes, Daniel Ricciardo is racing for the rest of the season to see if he can fight for a seat. Because they've kind of pre-announced some of the 2024 grid. And there's a couple of seats available. I mean, Williams and Alfa Romeo have a seat. Uh, William, Mercedes technically has a seat because I don't think Hamilton's re-signed his contract, but he will, so I'm not considering that Mercedes seat as open. But Williams, um, I don't know if Logan Sargent is proving enough to get his re-sign. And Alfa Romeo, same thing with Zhou Guan Yu. Um, so those seats are available. And then Alfa Tauri and Haas haven't technically re-signed either of their drivers. I do think Yuki comes back on one of those seats as well. But again, there's, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seats available right now. So, um... It's going to be interesting to see where Ricardo ends up. And uh, 
yeah, I'm excited to see what the rest of this Formula One season brings and uh, go McLaren. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Roped In. Again, I'm your host, John Roper. Uh, I got to make this short and sweet because my barking in the last segment really riled up my dogs. And now we've got to go for a walk to calm them down if John wants to have any sanity this afternoon. Um, so short and sweet. Thank you for coming out. Um, tune in next week. I can't say I know exactly what I'm going to be talking about, but it's going to be more topics. If you've got ideas, let me know. If you want to be on it and you know how to get on it easily remotely, let me know. Or even if you don't want to be on it, but you know how to get people on there remotely easily, how to record um, interviews and things like that, let me know. I'm excited to know. Um, So I got to go bring my dogs for a walk. And as always, Hakuna Matata.